This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharudin and this is Gigi Well Played, the show that talks about all things video games. We're going to summarize all the biggest announcements made this month in this year's Summer Game Festival. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Ofnil Ting and Ali Johan. Thank you, Hanif. We're going to kick things off with the news surrounding Diablo Immortal, that mobile version of Diablo that was pretty controversial and contentious all around, simply because uh, the game was released in the US and some parts of the world earlier this month, and the free-to-play game has surprisingly garnered close to $24 million US dollars in revenue in its uh, first two weeks being in the market. Insane, especially if you factor in uh, that the base game is actually free to play, which means that the amount that we mentioned was generated from microtransactions mostly. According to the report from industry tracking website AppMagic, the bulk of that spending came from the USA and South Korea and that the game, despite its many controversies and bad press, has been downloaded more than 5 million times. Yes, and out of that 5 million downloads, the US took a share of 26%, and also 43% out of the $24 million revenue. And South Korea came in second, um, naturally, with 23%, while Japan is third with 8%. The game achieves this despite largely bad press from the community that complain about how terrible the microtransaction and the loot economy is. But I guess any publicity is good publicity, right? And seems like the players don't mind from the sounds of it. But anyway, we would really love to get our hands on the game as well and give you our take on it. But unfortunately, the game's release in this region has been postponed again. It was initially scheduled to be released on the 23rd of June, but it has now been pushed back to 8th of July. They're postponing the launch to improve the download and overall playing experience. Among others, they are looking to fix and optimize the initial build package and the game's performance on Android and PC, not to mention other performance and network optimization as well. And to compensate the delay, Blizzard will be rewarding players with one piece of legendary gear, 100 scrap materials and also 10 enchanted dust. Uh, And that's uh, not as generous, uh, but at least there is something for the fans. So Malaysian Diablo fans, just gotta wait for a bit more uh, before we are able to get your hands on the game whether it's good or bad. But moving on, Call of Duty is finding more creative ways to battle cheaters and make the experiences of others better. As always, cheaters would want to get an advantage over others and while the battle will be a painful and long one, developers are trying their best to reduce the impact for others. Yeah, and Activision's team Ricochet has come up with a stricter way to combat this problem and that's by taking away all of their weapons. They revealed this in their latest blog update and how the company is planning to make Call of Duty, Vanguard and Warzone as well. Um, Apart from taking away these cheaters' weapons, they also use a mitigation toolbox to not only disrupt the cheaters' experiences but also to allow the developers to gather more data on these cheats to stop them in the future. Mm. The mitigation toolbox also includes a damage shield which will enhance a player's protection against cheaters allowing them to protect themselves better against cheaters and enact revenge. There's also cloaking which will make the cheaters' victim turn invisible when they are hit making it essentially impossible for them to be seen by these cheaters. Then there's Disarm, which will take away their weapons, not to mention also not allowing these players to use melee moves such as punching their opponents too. Yeah, so these are some mitigation moves to deter cheaters, but the best way to deal with them is still to lay down that ban hammer. Uh, According to Team Ricochet, 
they have banned over 180,000 cheaters since the last update in February 2022. And don't worry, these tools will be made available in the upcoming Call of Duty titles, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and Warzone 2.0 as well. Now, last but not least, Steam will be having its summer sale on the 24th of June. That's coming up soon, uh, and the sale will last till the 8th of July. Yeah, among the games that will be on sale during this period also include Ghostwire Tokyo, Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga, The Sims 4, God of War, Dying Light 2, Cyberpunk 2077, Forza Horizon 5, and WWE 2K 2022. So prepare your wallets and get ready to spend it if you want to get your hands on these titles and many more that will be on sale. Well, that's all we have for this week's news. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Ali and Afnil. Once upon a time, gamers will look forward to the middle of the year or during summer, as that will be the time when we'll get a lot of new trailers and new announcements. E3 used to be the event for all these announcements, but with E3 losing its luster recently and officially cancelled this year, we're now left with a lot of different events and showcases to spread the joy around. So, without further ado, here's Jonathan Leo, content director at Kakuchopori.com, to help us summarize all the announcements made throughout this month. Let's start with PlayStation's State of Play. Yep, that's correct. So yeah, instead of it being called E3, a lot of outlets are calling it not E3, and they're just calling it Summer Game Festival. I'd say SGF is the way to go, like Summer Game Festival, because summer is always associated with June and so forth. So yeah, PlayStation State of Play. The two biggest games that were announced are Street Fighter VI and Final Fantasy XVI. Who are we? What are the dominance? The power we wield. It wears away at our very being. It breaks us. It unmakes us. That its immaculate aspect might reveal itself. The icon. All right, so let's talk about Final Fantasy 16. So Square Enix has showcased a lot of action RPG things going on, where it's one main character, Clive, who is basically fighting against an army of enemies here and there, as well as like a. 1v1 sort of action going on where he is fighting against the boss of a castle or in a fortress. The game itself seems to be a bit politically steeped with like warring nations fighting over control of these idolons, these giant summons, these creatures. Uh, basically, they are all summons from the Final Fantasy mythos. You got Shiva, Ramu, Ifrit, Odin, and so forth. So these are giant beasts that you can actually summon on your side. As the game progresses, it seems that. Clive himself can actually summon all these creatures to fight for him, to fight against other leaders or factions, to fight with their own idolons, and it's pretty epic to see this being showcased, especially with how the graphics look. Final Fantasy XVI is definitely going to be a PS5 exclusive because, again, PlayStation still play, but it's rumors that it's going to be out on PC as well, probably like an exclusivity of sorts, like it's a year later. But for those expecting a turn-based game, they're going to be mistaken because Final Fantasy has been going through the action RPG route as of late, and this particular iteration, which is being produced by Naoki Yoshida, the savior of Final Fantasy for the current generation, who handled FF14, is going to make sure that this is going to be the Final Fantasy to look out for because it's going back to the fantastical setting with the big monsters here and there. Although it's a bit more combat-centric than usual, in fact, a lot of people have said that this is reminiscent of Devil May Cry or any other hyper-action game, and they're not really wrong in that respect. Because once you have an idol on with you, you can actually get to 
have different skills here and there. You can actually switch between different monsters you can summon with their own special skill sets and special moves that they can create. So let's just say if you have Shiva equipped, you get to use ice spells. And if you have Garuda equipped, you have more movement, you got like a move boost and you get to summon more wind slash arrow attacks. So switching your powers is key. Changing up your Eidolons is key. And yeah, you got to make sure to dodge really well and whatnot. But I'm sure there are some RPG aspects like you know, stat boosting and armor equipment and stats management that will come into play to make sure that, you know, your fighting is, you know, very level grounded and, you know, slightly easier in that sense. Think of it like how Nero Automata handled the RPG aspect in terms of stats and equipment. But it's a whole and whole action game through and through. So that's definitely one title to look forward to. When you go looking for strength, it's not like a game. This journey doesn't have a real ending. And then there's also Street Fighter VI, which I'm sure you're very excited uh, to talk about. Oh, very much, yes. So Street Fighter VI is, of course, the sixth Mothership title. It's actually taking place after Street Fighter III in terms of storyline. So Ryu, Chun-Li, they're kind of aged but still can fight. Ryu now looks more like a monk. Chun-Li looks like as if she's like a sensei in the China Chinese dojo. And of course, we got a bunch of new characters in. Street Fighter V's Luke makes a return. He's actually like the face of Street Fighter VI. He's an MMA guy who fights kind of like with a fireball. Like an actual Shoto character, a fireball. Horizontal attack and an uppercut and a bunch of moves to make it make him very beginner-friendly. You also got Guile, who's slightly older. You've got new character, Jamie, who's like a combination of Yun and Yang's Chinese Kung Fu style of fighting, but with a drinking mechanic where basically he drink takes a swig of his special drink to actually get more moves and get more properties from his moves so it's pretty interesting fight style that's rushed down as well the game itself follows a new system i believe it's called the drive system where you've got like a bottom drive gauge because last time every fighting game in the street fighter canon has always been like using the guard gauge to determine how much you can block now, you have a lot of different options like cancelling moves, doing a counter, doing parries, and you know having and even using EX moves using this drive meter. Now, if you use up this drive meter up to the max, you'll be in a broken state, I believe, or an empty state or tired state, which means you are at a disadvantage. So, you basically can use your drive meter as much as you want to express yourself in fighting, but don't use it too much to the point where it's all drained out. Otherwise, you are at a huge disadvantage. You also still have your super meter at the bottom, which is definitely reserved for all your super moves. But your drive gauge, that's a separate meter. That's another resource meter, which means players can use your special moves and have many different options to either play offensively or defensively. But at the same time, you only can gain back drive gauge faster by being more on the attacking and on the fighting route. Now, in terms of uh, making the game a bit more accessible for bigger audiences, the game actually has both a modern controls tool set. So yes, you can still play the game using classic controls. Like you got your six attack buttons and all the motions you can do. But the modern controls just let you have like four face buttons, light, medium and heavy attacks, a special attack thing and a couple of other triggers. But basically it's simplifying all your attacks, but at the same time, not making it game breaking. So, for example, if Ryu wants to do a Hadouken, he just has to press, like, any direct, one particular direction and the special button to perform it. And then if you want to do, like, an auto combo, you have to press, oh, say, example, the L2 or the R2 button and just, while you're holding forward, and just keep tapping the R2 button, for an example. 
So they're following s- tilt motions like in Super Smash Brothers or Multiverses, but at the same time, it's not going to be game-breaking. So there are obviously some restrictions here and there. Because at the end of the day, Capcom still wants players to actually use the classic controls to you know, play competitively. But generally, the four-button scheme, the modern controls are tailor-made for people who are not familiar with fighting games and want to actually jump into fighting games. So it's great that Capcom is taking this approach, especially. And there's even the live commentary mode where basically they take real-life commentators like Vicious and Aru from Japan to actually, you know, commentate a match that's going on with pre-recorded words here and there. Now, the beauty of this is that the live commentary can actually teach you how to play the game. Like, if the commentator says that you need to buck up on your zoning and your footsie game, they will say that and then it tells you that, oh, I need to actually, you know, make sure that I'm spacing out my character properly. Otherwise, I'm going to have an attack that whiffs and then I get punished for it. So that's just one example of how this live commentary tool can help people with the game as they're playing. So this and the modern controls are great in bringing people on board. And yeah, I mean, I should also mention that there's actually a bit of a roster leak that happened, but from the looks of it, the leak has been very positively received. So we know that characters like Ken and even Blanca, basically the original eight fighters of Street Fighter 2 are coming back, along with a whole slew of favorites from Street Fighter 5 and brand new characters who look very attractive and really cool. So hopefully with the official announcement coming up, the hype for this game is basically really big, in other words. So a lot of playtesting has been done. There was actually an offline event where a lot of content creators are playing the game. And the reception has been very positive. I've seen a lot of gameplay of this. It looks flashy. It looks great. It's not distracting. That's the best part because the foreground is actually more active. And most importantly, the game still retains the Street Fighter core where it's simple to pick up and play, but at the same time, you need to learn thing matchups here and there, and it gets difficult, especially when you fight against pro players. So yes, Street Fighter Six is looking like it's going on the right path compared to Street Fighter V's season one and season two release. The director and producer of the game has said this countless times that they're learning from their mistakes from part five. So that's really good news that Capcom's going through this direction. Mm. And it's going to be released um, next year, right? Yep, 2023. I made a video about this stating that they should actually just release it in the second half of 2023 because we can still wait for an upcoming Street Fighter 6 because I would rather this game be in its complete state as much as possible before the obvious DLC content comes in, you know, because Capcom's still a company, they need to make money post-release, right? (laughs) But generally, yes, this game has to feel as complete as possible especially with the single-player world tour mode where it seems that you can play, you can create your own character, walk around Metro City and different areas, pick fights, and maybe have your own, like, maybe you can even customize your character to have different moves here and there. Obviously, this character cannot be used in tournaments, but in the single-player PvE landscape and structure, this works really well. So, yes, it's actually borrowing in the ideas from Mortal Kombat, Deadly Alliance, and... Mortal Kombat Deception on the PS2 back in the day. But it's still a great idea to pick, especially when, you know, Capcom can flesh out the idea and make it better, especially for people who are retro fans who want to see Metro City from Final Fight coming back. And yeah, they're actually bringing back the flavor of Final Fight here in Street Fighter because, you know, like in the old history back then, the Street Fighter 2 was supposed to be Final Fight, but it ended up becoming a different game and thus it became Final Fight. So having this world converge in full 
even though it's been done before, it's actually nice to see. Like, it's a nice touch for retro gaming fans in the 90s. Gondor Wonder Roost. I've located Baby Eagle. Yeah, sounds uh, fantastic. Um, other games announced from the state of play also include, well, I mean, Resident Evil 4. That one looks pretty obvious. But yeah, anything you would like to say about that? Um, just quite a bit. They are... It looks good, don't get me wrong. Mm. I mean, I was actually questioning myself why they should make a remake of a game that still plays fine after so many years on the GameCube and on the PS2 and on a PC. The sole reason is, of course... There are some ideas for Resident Evil 4 back in the day that actually didn't come to fruition, like having a light mechanic or setting, taking place in a castle with mirrors and having a Mr. Hook character chasing Leon back in the day. In fact, some of the ideas from Resident Evil were so out of touch or basically too bizarre that it became its own idea, uh, i.e. Devil May Cry. But generally, yes, there are a lot of scrapped ideas from Resident Evil Four that didn't make it to the final product, which could actually be taking place in this remake. So I'm looking forward to see how they make this game feel a bit more serious with a new touch, as well as having more mechanics and more gameplay inside. Now, whether you should play Resident Evil 4 or not, that you should. It's still a great game. I'm guessing the remake is going to be a little bit more different. They're not going to do the same thing all over again. So hopefully that is the case because it's always a good idea to bring in something new if you're making a remake so hopefully Capcom's RE team can do that hmm. um, well I know this is a bit too early to be talking about but will we see remakes of like Resident Evil 5 and 6 as well since they're embarking on this project of remaking all the older Resident Evil games oh definitely because Capcom will still want to make money out of like old games that did not work really well in retrospect RE5 was alright but RE6 was a huge divergent like a uh, divisive titles so having a remake on these games would actually work really well in terms of making it the control scheme fit making the combat fit and making it feel new and accessible and approachable while also being a great horror game in its own right so remaking RE5 and RE6 in the next five to six years would actually prove beneficial I was a bit hesitant with RE4 because RE4 is already like the perfect game in that sense yeah. What about like the more the sleeper hits like I think Code Veronica X uh, which I think like a lot of like fans love actually? Oh, that needs a remake 100% because it's really hard to go back to Code Veronica on the Dreamcast because of the controls and the dated storyline and the perspective. Code Veronica really needs a remake 100%. That was Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopore.com, summarizing PlayStation's state of play. We're going to make way for some messages after this, Summer Game Fest and more. Stay tuned. This is GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. Jonathan Leo, Content Director at Kakuchopori.com, joins me on the show to look back at some of the announcements made throughout the month of June. We've covered PlayStation State of Play and now we're going to move on to Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest. Let's start with the Callisto Protocol. Okay, so Callista Protocol is basically the old visceral game studio leaving EA and starting up their own horror game. 
And basically, Callisto Protocol, you might as well just call it Dead Space 4 because it is exactly that. <laughs> Except you change the protagonist, it's still in space, you're in a prison, a lot of horrible horror Cthulhu stuff is going on, there's a lot of gore, and there's a lot of, like, a little bit of action here and there in the survival horror gameplay. It's essentially Dead Space 4 in everything but name. But it looks really good, and I'm happy that a small studio of experts are making this game. And it's coming out, I believe, end of the year, December 4th or 5th, or basically around that month. So it's good to see that it's actually shaping up really great. So that's all I can say. It looks good, plays really well. Again, Dead Space 4 in anything but name. Moving on. We've also got this shooter called Witchfire. I believe you are a gunman who actually can cast spells in this weird world where basically it's very action-packed and also got a bit of roguelite elements. It's made by a studio known for doing Painkiller and Bulletstorm, so you can expect the action to be a bit more arcadey and frenetic. Maybe this game itself may have like a story mode and an arcade mode, but we'll see how it goes. But the shooting and the action from the gameplay trailer looks very promising so far. Oh, other than that, um, yeah, okay, I've got like a couple titles there. Oh, we've got Stormgate, which is actually upcoming real-time strategy title from Frost Giant Studios. They're actually consisting of a bunch of developers who are from Blizzard, who used to make Warcraft 3 and StarCraft 2. The game itself, there was only like a cinematic trailer and a bunch of gameplay pictures from the Unreal Engine 5 template they're working on. So the game... Looks like it's going to be a colorful RTS. It's set in the post-apocalyptic universe where humans accidentally summon devils from the portal and they're their own faction, the Infernals. And then you got humans and your robots trying to defend their home territory from these demons coming into the world. Have to protect the world from the portals, from demons coming out. The game itself is going to be like a PvP and a PvE game where there's a huge focus on 3v3 player versus player, as well as like a three versus enemies PvE mode. And yeah, it looks very promising. You got the different factions who are going to control asymmetrically, like how Protoss, Terrans, and Zergs are in terms of gameplay. The art style itself is pretty colorful. Like it's a post-apocalyptic world, but it's more hopeful. And they're pushing to make sure the game comes out in better form in 2023. They announced a the game like during Summer Games Festival, but at the same time, they're going to take a lot of feedback from the RTS community to make sure the game turns out alright in terms of how they want the game to be. Now, I think the reason why they pick a 3v3 format is because they want the social aspect of the RTS format to happen. They want to have three people teaming up to have that social aspect to team up. Like how people play Left 4 Dead, like four people teaming up against the AI, they kind of want that before the RTS kind of format. So the controls are going to be accessible. It'll still be complicating, but they're going to take steps in making sure that this RTS game is going to be approachable for people who are new to the scene. So I guess we're going to wait till like next year to see actual gameplay, but the screenshots and the art style and the way the Stormgate developers are talking about the game looks pretty promising. In terms of other announcements, we've got Warhammer 40k Darktide where it's basically a Left 4 Dead style game where you control four characters. You have to storm a sci-fi dungeon or a infernal inhospitable city to deal with like the undead and zombies and freaks. You got to go in, do a couple of missions, kill a gauntlet of monsters and then get out. So you've got a bit of that whole Left 4 Dead co-op play here and there, except there's more focus on melee. 
yes, Warhammer 40k has like people k- holding guns and whatnot, but surprisingly, the game itself has a lot of like melee play because bullets are going to be scarce. Your guns are going to be unwieldy. And some characters are just better using melee, like the big orc, which you actually have in your party. So it's pretty cool that they're basically the developer, Fat Shark, they're going to be following what they've done with Vermintide and Vermintide 2, but with more of the whole 40k aesthetic in terms of like the grimy kind of future with the orcs and the tyranids and all the different creatures and freaks you find in the Warhammer 40k universe. So that looks very, very promising. I believe that's coming out in September, so look out for that. So why'd you leave Boston? I've been on quite the adventure, little brother. I reckon it's got something to do with that girl. It's got everything to do with that little girl. And last but not least, I guess we're going to talk about The Last of Us Part 1, which is actually going to be remade. So that remake is going to come out on the PlayStation 5, just for PS5, on this September. It's going to be exactly like The Last of Us game that we played back in 2013 and in the remake a couple of years later. But with the PlayStation 5 engine built from the ground up. So I guess as you could say it's a tech demo of sorts because... I don't know, Last of Us Part 1 was actually playable back in the day, so I'm not sure who this is catering for, but I guess for those who are looking forward for a remake, yeah, have fun. Yeah, and also perhaps for the HBO show, right? Oh yeah, for from a marketing standpoint, yes. In fact, I believe they're taking Troy Baker and the voice actress for Ellie, and they're going to be casted as two characters in the Last of Us TV show. And yeah, of course, the two of them are going to be reprising the roles in... I mean, if there are any re-recorded dialogue they need to do, sure, why not? But the graphic engine looks nice. I, I That's all I can say. It looks nice. Oh, okay. All right. And, and there's also um, Marvel's Midnight Suns, which I personally feel like it doesn't look as impressive. Marvel Midnight Suns is, is actually... Midnight Suns are actually... I believe that's more of like a XCOM kind of game. XCOM style game, right? Yeah. But it's going to be a bit more accessible. It's going to be a bit more marvelly. It's a turn-based combat game, but it's not going to be as challenging or, you know, brutally difficult. It's also going to have like a bit of a card playing mechanic where you've got like skills on the cards. You just got to play the cards and you've got to make sure you got the correct skills to get through the stage itself. So it's going to be action-packed. I'm looking forward to that. I believe that is coming out this October, I believe. That's mm. going to be for all consoles and PC. So that looks pretty promising. Although they might as well just call it the Avengers turn-based strategy game, but <laughs> because they have like Ghost Rider and they have magic inside the game, I believe they need and even Blade. Because, so I guess that's one way to put in the Midnight Suns brand. Although I do hope that they announce Morbius because he's also part of the Midnight Suns. <laughs> yeah. Um, your thoughts on Gotham Knights so far? Oh, it looks very boring. Uh, <laughs> that's really much all I can say. It's like it's going to be. A game that's similar to the Avengers from Square Enix back in the day, but with the DC brand onto it. I hope it can change my mind because so far it looks very cookie cutter. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then we also have, uh, well, the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and Cuphead and also um, Goat Simulator 3, <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, that trailer actually threw me off the loop because I thought it was going to be the Dead Island 2 trailer. Nope, mm-hmm. it's Goat Simulator 3. They skipped the number, so... I think I mentioned this in another podcast where 
Goat Simulator 2 might actually be a bonus game that's like a top-down 2D kind of game. You control the goat, you move him around the maze, like in the those 2D DOS games back in the 90s period, the Shareway games. <laughs> All right, okay. Um, I, I guess we can move on to the Xbox Bethesda event. Oh, that's a pretty big one, even though there are some games. I mean, I, I'm only interested in half the games, but yeah, let's bring it up. I mean, the obvious one to bring up is definitely Starfield. We actually get to see actual gameplay. And it's what you would expect. It's like a combination of No Man's Sky meets Fallout 4 meets Skyrim meets all the other open world RPGs you have played in first person perspective. Not to say that's a bad thing. I'm fact I'm very positive about this kind of gameplay because you get to do the whole sci-fi exploration. It's kind of like a murkier, serious version of the Outer Worlds. You get to build your own spaceship, your own colony, your own base. And you got different factions to interact with. And you got strange creatures and whatnot to kill. Now, the only issue about this is we have seen Todd Howard, the owner of Bethesda, and also the lead director for Starfield, be a bit overzealous with the games he presents. I mean, everyone can tell you how much of a disappointment Fallout 76 is, right? <laughs> so I think Starfield might have that same sentiment. But again, the game is only coming out next year, so who knows? But when Todd Howard mentioned over a thousand planets to explore, yes, people are going to be very, very skeptical, especially the last few presentations and games you have released under your brand Bethesda. So for all you know, those planets could be very empty. But hey, you know what? That's the thing about exploration in space as far as I know, in sci-fi shows and movies where half the time, half these planets are going to be empty anyway or hostile. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that, again, we'll see how that goes. But generally, if they want to make a very tailored action RPG experience, they're not going to rush this game 100%. It, this game has so many years of being built. And they're not going to, you know, wet the bed in terms of, like, delivering a crappy game. It'll be a buggy game, yes. But <laughs> in terms of, like, being... Entertaining, yes, I see that happening for Starfield. That's for sure. What was that? He is the truth in the darkness. He is the word and the shadow. I've seen the movement in the dark. I've seen the shadow. I see you. Oh, Lord! Uh, Red, Red Fall also is another, I think, title that's pretty hype up, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, from Bethesda. This is actually a game made by Arcane Studios. It's actually a PvE game. You control four vampire hunters who have their own set of skills, fighting against a bunch of vampires who have the power to basically drain water from all around the town of Redfall and also block out the sun. So you've got different big, big vampires, small vampires, different kind of vampires who are basically like superpower zombies from, you know, Left 4 Dead, but in the more vampire, Buffy the Vampire State kind of context. So the four players you control, they have different skills, like you've got a psychic character who can create psychic shields, you've got one character who can summon traps called a cryptologist, basically can create lures and whatnot to trap vampires or lure them away from the battlefield and you just fire them from the back. You also got another character who can create gizmos and gadgets and mines, and you've got the sniper character who gets to be invisible, which is always a useful ability if you're taking out vampires in close quarters and being as quiet about it as possible, like stealth kills. Because as much as we see from the gameplay, it's like a good balance of stealth and action because there are going to be a lot of situations where you have no choice but to fight. 
So you cannot basically stealth your way through most of the situations. So again, there's a lot more gameplay. There's a bit of a loot collecting as well, like maybe to upgrade your items and equipment. It's focused more on the PvE side of things. So it's like four people teaming up or you can just play solo with AI to fight against the vampires in different stages. So that could, it's, it looks very promising. And we've seen Arcane do really awesome games with Prey, with Deathloop, and the Dishonored series. So having them do a first-person game, action game, is actually on course with them. But to do a PvE game like Left 4 Dead that's entertaining and can actually set itself apart from, you know, Left 4 Dead, yes, uh, I hope they can do that too. Again, it's the polish and the action that matters. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the other than that, I think uh, Microsoft also announced Forza Motorsport. Uh, I mean, well, it's, it's good to finally see another sim racing, I suppose, one way or another. Oh, definitely. Forza Motorsports, I believe they just showcase a lot of what's going on with the racing. And I guess it's mostly just graphical and how the game looks like in-game. But in terms of like modes, who they're going to bring in as a special guest, maybe Jeremy Clarkson, who knows, we're not so sure yet. I mean, again, the game is coming out in 2023 and it's confusingly called uh, Forza Motorsports. There's no 8 in the front, there's no number, it's just called Forza Motorsports. So, like a reboot of sorts. But again, I'm more of the Forza Horizon camp, but this game looks really good. I will play it, but only from the Game Pass. I won't actually, you know, pay full price for it, unlike maybe Redfall or maybe Starfield. Because again, I'm not a big racing guy. So this is like very, this is for like the pure racing fan who likes a lot of these like circuit-based games. It's, in fact, it's basically Gran Turismo's competitor in a sense. So as long as Xbox does not do anything silly, like maybe charging for the cars inside the game, you know, or through some stupid microtransaction plan, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, we also have Blizzard uh, announcing Overwatch 2 and also Diablo 4, right? Maybe we can talk a bit about that. Oh my God. Yes, yes. That's a lot <laughs> going on there. Overwatch 2 is actually confirmed to be a free-to-play game from Blizzard. So they showcased quite a bit of gameplay here and there, followed up with like a presentation. I think it was actually happening today, this morning, at this time of recording, where basically they talk about the Junker Queen, a new tank character, how PvP will actually end up, and how the free-to-play system is going to be like, where basically there's no loot boxes. I believe you just purchase the costumes outright, I believe. Yeah, it's, it's actually good to make this game free to play. So it's a good idea to, you know, get more people on board to play the game that they played back in 2016, but in a more fresh coat of paint. Hopefully with the PvE mechanics coming in, you know, like one group, four of six people or five people fighting against the AI in a slew of missions to progress the story. And yeah, I think we can see a bit of the old Blizzard coming back after much kerfuffle. I speak now to those who heed a darker call. And Diablo 4, they showcased the Necromancer in action, the announcement of the fifth and final class. Rod Ferguson, the producer, comes out to talk about Diablo 4, how it's going to be a paid game, normal paid game, with, you know, maybe some... You know, stuff you can probably buy on the site post-launch. But generally, it's going to be the same kind of experience, a triple-A, single-paid game that you've known and loved. Like, the action RPG going on. There's even a bit of an online component where basically giant bosses 
boss monsters pop up on the open world map and up to maybe 16 players will have to kill the monster in the short amount of time. It's the same idea as how Destiny 2 handles like instances, except in the Diablo setting. So it's actually interesting to see that. I mean, yes, you can still play the game in single-player mode, so... But whether you want people to join you or not, that's really up to you. But generally, the even the art style is going to be a little bit more darker and a bit more in tone with what Diablo 2 is compared to Diablo 3's more saturated outlook on the hellscape and fighting devils and whatnot. So Diablo 4 looks very promising, coming out on PC and consoles of 2023. It's got a skill tree, it's got a huge endgame with the Paragon levels and the new system here and there. Looks very promising with the different classes and the different playstyles. In fact, there's all this developer diary videos that's been going on prior to this presentation. So there's actually a lot of info being disseminated and it's all pointing towards good things, especially for action RPG players like myself. I've played a lot of them like from Path of Exile to even Diablo 3, which I'm still playing up to this day. So if Diablo 4 can have that staying power like Diablo 3 within the next 10 years, I think Diablo 4 is going to be in a safe place. Um, another game, well, not game necessarily, but Hideo Kojima appeared <laughs> on video to announce that he's going to be working with Microsoft, right? Um, I think that's just it, right? There's nothing else that people can speculate from that? That's pretty much it. Hideo Kojima basically announced that he's working at Xbox Game Studio on a new title. No gameplay, no announcement, no title, but just working on that. He is still maintaining his relationship with PlayStation, so it's mostly just, you know, he's just going to jump to a different camp to work on this, and then once that game is published, he got the funding, what's next, you know? So it's good that he's actually doing this, you know, like to go back and forth as an independent studio because Kojima Productions can work with whoever they want, whoever they want uh, at this point in time. And speaking of Japanese games, I believe all three Persona games, like Persona 3, Persona 4, and 5, are coming out on Xbox Game Pass and PC Game Pass. With Persona 5 Royal coming out on this, this October on Xbox Game Pass. So that's pretty cool, especially for a lot of people who have yet to play this trilogy of JRPGs. Mm. They were previously only um, exclusively on PlayStation, right? Yep, that is correct. Uh, Persona 4 Golden was actually ported onto the PC. It was actually on PlayStation Vita. And then now it's on play. Now it's going to be on PC. And now it's actually the first time going on Xbox. And they just announced that they're going to have PlayStation Four and Five versions of these three games coming out as well. So it's good that you know people get to replay these old games, these old classic titles. Mm, yeah. So yeah. Um. Anything else from the Xbox Bethesda showcase? I believe just a couple. There's actually a couple of indie and mid-budget games that were announced, which piqued my interest. The last case of ben Benedict Fox is a 2D search action game with Cthulhu elements. You play a detective trying to discover what's going on in this mansion and a lot of like tentacled interdimensional monsters are in the way. Lightyear Frontier is basically Stardew Valley, a farming game, except you control a mech to actually, you know, farm your crops, build your buildings and, you know, tend to the livestock while also exploring caves as a person in a giant mech, mech mecha suit. So that's pretty interesting. Flintlock The Siege of Dawn is an action game coming out from Focus, I believe. And it looks very promising given that it's a mid-sized tier game. It's got action that's similar to God of War and Bayonetta, except the setting itself is in the... Imagine like steampunk mixed with like colonial times, you know, when the Spanish Inquisition were looking for new places to conquer. It's that kind of setting. Except you've got magic 
and you've got Demons to Fight. So that looks pretty cool. Those are basically my three indie slash mid-game picks for this showcase. Mm. There's also Hollow Knight, uh, Silk Song, right? Which is, I think, a sequel to Hollow Knight. Yeah, um, it's actually nice that it's coming out as a day one Xbox Game Pass exclusive, but there's no release date, so we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's move on to all the other showcases that happened. Um, after the Xbox and Bethesda, I think let's start with Capcom. The Capcom had one right after, right? If you're not mistaken, I believe in a couple of days. Uh, actually, it happened this uh, morning at the time of recording. Capcom had a video about Dragon's Dogma. Ten years. What happened? You know how the process was. It was like a little short video about talking about the history of making Dragon's Dogma about. Director Hideaki Itsuno's uh, fascination with Dungeons and Dragons and paper and pen RPGs and so forth. And then at the end of the video itself, they announced Dragon's Dogma 2. Dragon's Dogma 2. There is no gameplay, there is no release date. They're actually in production of Dragon's Dogma 2 with, and with the core team members, Hideaki Itsuno and the old Dragon's Dogma team. Sequels have been confirmed. Uh, whether it's being showcased, I'm not sure. I'm guessing either they're going to showcase it at Tokyo Game Show this year or early next year or maybe even the Video Game Awards. So we'll see how that turns out, but I'm actually looking forward to seeing how this game unfolds and how the action unfolds. Mm. Yeah, um, anything else from Capcom apart from Dragon's Dogma? Not, not I really, think that's right? about it. I mean, they did talk about Exo Primal, the closed beta. It's actually happening in a couple of weeks. And it's basically, a, I think it's coming out next year, I believe. Yeah, it's basically uh, a PvE kind of game, like Left 4 Dead. I mean, there's a lot of these Left 4 Dead clones coming out, right? When you think about it. Where instead of fighting zombies, you fight dinosaurs and you are in exosuits that fly. You got giant suits with big guns, different roles. And it's basically four against another team of four fighting against a whole swarm of enemies. So two teams or three teams are basically fighting to complete the objective first. It's like a competition. So it's like PvP plus E, PvP VE in like Destiny 2's Gambit mode, but in a more Capcom sci-fi kind of aesthetic and trappings. Mm. Um, there's also a Square Enix event uh, to showcase um, Final Fantasy VII, right? Oh, that's correct. Square Enix recently had a presentation where they talked about the future of Final Fantasy VII and they've announced two titles. One is a Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII reunion. Zach speaking. Making progress, Zach. And Geo. I can cut loose, right? Within reason. It's showtime which is basically a remake of the Crisis Core title on PSP back in 2010 or 9. I forgot my years. I'm very sorry. Uh, The graphical overhaul looks apparent, very stark. The game is coming out end of the year for all consoles and PC. um, Winter 2022. Now, it looks great and it's going to basically have the same gameplay as the PSP version of the game. My only hope is they actually retool the controls properly. Because they have actually, Square Enix has done the port of a PSP game before, Final Fantasy Type-0. And that game controlled very awkwardly. As, as fun as the game was, it did not control very well on the PS4 version that I played. Because, again, the mapping wasn't proper and whatnot. So, I hope that Crisis Core 
worked really well. I mean, in, from a control standpoint, just revamp the controls, everything, make it new and make it, you know, it works, you know, for current consoles. What we've done, that's set in stone. The past is forever. But the future, even if it has been written, can be changed. So focus on the future, not the past. He wants to finish what he started. He wants to reclaim his birthright and rule over the planet with Genova at his side. And the next game they announced was Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which is basically a follow-up from Final Fantasy VII Remake. So the game is a clear sequel, it's basically Remake Part 2, but I believe from the looks of the trailer where they showcase Cloud walking a Sephiroth in a garden and a bit of gameplay, that's about it. It's only like what? A few seconds of gameplay and a couple of cutscenes from the ending of Final Fantasy VII Remake. It basically showcased some characters like Zack, who is actually previously dead in the series, actually coming back alive for some reason, which will be explained in Rebirth. I believe Rebirth itself might be half retcon and half continuation of the storyline set in FF7 Rebirth. There are a lot of fan theories stating that they're creating a new timeline rather than basically just retelling the story of Final Fantasy VII because Final Fantasy VII already exists. You can actually buy the game right now as you want. But in terms of like Rebirth, it's going to be a rewriting, a retcon or even like an alternate timeline kind of thing going on. So new storylines with a bit of the same old, same old popping up except in current gen graphics and gameplay. So basically fans of FF7 are going to be eating heavily tonight for this. And this game is coming out next year, next winter, 2023. I suspect it's going to be delayed, but we'll see. Because, um, you know, Final Fantasy 16 is coming out at that same year. So whether FF16 comes out at a particular timeline, FF7 Rebirth has to come out, like, much later. Because, you know, Square Enix probably does not want to cannibalize its own JRPG titles, right? Mm, okay, yeah. So a lot of announcements. Uh, oh, that's a lot. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a good. It's a good. It's a good month, basically. Yeah. Mm. Anything else that stands out from the month? I think that's about it because there's actually going to be a Nintendo press release event happening end of the year. Who knows? Um, it's actually heavily rumored, but yeah, this is all the big news that we talked about. It's very promising. Personally, I'm looking forward to Street Fighter Six, Final Fantasy Seven Rebirth, um, what else? Uh, Starfield, Diablo Four. And yeah, of course, Final Fantasy 16. So that's pretty much my top picks. And even Dragon's Dogma 2, whenever that's coming out. You're tuning into GG Well Played, and that was our summary of the Summer Game Festival and the various games announced throughout the month. Thanks to Jonathan Liu from Kakuchopori.com for joining us on the show. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on pfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play, and you can also find our podcast on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on, and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.